This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. College costs have risen steeply, student debt has escalated, and the cost of college has become a presidential campaign issue. Bernie Sanders, the Vermont senator, wants free public college education for all and total relief from all student debt. Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren is less generous. She would cap debt forgiveness to those with less than $250,000 a year. Meanwhile, Pete Buttigieg, the surprisingly strong candidate from South Bend, Indiana, wonders whether free college is not simply a giveaway to the rich. Americans who have a college degree earn more than Americans who don't, he said. As a progressive, I have a hard time getting my head around the idea of a majority who earn less because they didn't go to college, subsidizing a minority who earn more because they did go to college. Buttigieg wants to expand the Pell Grant program instead. But the Pell Grant program has already expanded far beyond its original design. When it began, it cost about $6 billion a year. Today, it's $28 billion. Why do we need a further expansion? Are we going to get a further expansion no matter what uh, the policymakers decide on Capitol Hill? To discuss this interesting question, I have with me today Jason Delisle, a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute who with his colleague has written a fascinating new study on the built-in expansion capacities of the Pell Grant program. Thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange, Jason. Thanks for having me. So, Jason, first of all, before we get into your study, can you just tell us a little bit more about where does the Pell Grant program come from? Who who was Mr. Pell? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Mr. Pell is a, a... A senator who the the program was actually uh, named after uh, years after the program was was originally created uh, in the uh, 1970s, I believe. Um, and it you know it's a it's a grant program for low income students to go to college to get an undergraduate degree. Uh, I think it start, I think the the original name was something like the Basic Education Opportunity Grant or something like that, and and because Senator Powell was such a champion of the of the program, um, it, it, Congress later named it after him. So, in other words, it was really sort of the part of the war on poverty. It was designed to really help uh, children from families who were living in poverty who somehow managed to. Uh, get a high school diploma and wanted to go to college and, and to give them the, and the support that they needed. Yeah, and very much so uh, under the sort of idea that there, that, you know, there, there were all these uh, uh, students who, who had the academic ability and, and had the, the drive and desire to, to get a college education uh, and just didn't have the money. Uh, and so, you know, that's what, that's what the program was supposed to do was provide provide access uh, at, at a broad level to sort of buy down the cost. Well, the numbers of students who have received the Pell Grant have gone up over the years. I think back in the 1970s, there were about 2 million. Uh, in, in, in 2008, before the recession, there were 5 million. Then it goes up to 9 million when at the height of the recession and immediately thereafter. And now it's it's gone down to 7 million. So how come there are fewer today than there were back in two, you know, four or five years ago? Yeah. So d- during the recession and in the years immediately following the the, the big economic recession, there was just this a, a surge of sort of non traditional college students 
who enrolled in some form of, of higher education. Maybe it was online, it was at for-profit colleges or community colleges. Um, and and they, had, they were looking to go back to college. Maybe they had lost their job. Uh, or they were looking to, to try out some kind of post-secondary education for, for the first time. Uh, and so they were older, um, uh, unemployed, uh, had lower incomes. Uh, and so you have your sort of normal, the, the, the normal sort of enrollment rate of Pell Grant recipients. Uh, and then you have this sort of recession cohort that comes in and, and, and really increase the, the numbers. And that's why you see that, that big spike up to, I think you said, not about 9 million. So, the, so there was a great spike uh, at the time of the recession. And so the cost of the Pell Grant program just blew up to $40 billion dollars but it's retreated now to around $28 billion, but that still is a lot more than it was back in 2008. So about 10 years ago, before this uh, you know, economic uh, catastrophe, um, there was about, uh, it, it's still $10 billion more, which is just about 50% larger than it was uh, a decade ago. Yeah, and, then, and that's because not all of the... Uh, uh, of the the cost increase that we're talking about is is from um, this en- this enrollment that I was talking about. You have uh, cha- eligibility changes that were that were made for the program. One is just a, a big increase in the maximum grant that students can receive. That's remained. Uh, that hasn't gone down. That's remained since the recession and even gone up somewhat. So that's contributed to the big cost increase. Uh, and th- there were some changes to the eligibility rules that Congress enacted in the mid-2007, or about 2007, mid-2000s, that, um, that increased uh, the amount of grants that, the size of grants that, that families could qualify for uh, than they had in, in the past. Um, so all of those sort of stuck. Um, you know, Congress did roll back some of them. Um, uh, but uh, not all of them. And so, you know, the program is bigger and more generous and provides larger grants um, you know, than it did 15, 15 years ago. So the maximum amount that you can get for uh, under a Pell Grant uh, today is what? How much can, if you're, if you're the most needy student? Yep, like $6,100 or thereabouts. So a little over six thousand dollars. Well, but then what's the typical cost of a community college? What's the tuition at a community college uh, on average? Yeah, I mean today? it's going to be f- you know for full time attendance uh, before student aid. You know it's going to be a few thousand dollars, two three thousand um, dollars. You know is is pr- fairly typical uh, for a full time student at a community college. So you can be a full-time student for three thousand uh, dollars or a little more, maybe. Uh, so another what, and then I suppose the other three thousand dollars is for your uh, living costs. But if you're living at home, you might actually, you know, not be too badly off living off the grant. Uh, right. Yeah. So you would, you a student would receive what they call a refund check, uh, and you you would. Uh, could have the balance then and use that for your living expenses. That is a, a very typical, uh, a typical approach. So the maximum, at least for going to junior colleges, is quite, quite, uh, uh, quite substantial. Maybe covers the cost for some students. Um, uh, now, how about a four-year college? Is that a different story? Yeah. So what's interesting there, right, is the program actually doesn't really doesn't really distinguish between the two. It's the same grant wherever you want to go. Whatever you qualify for, you can take that to 
a four-year university or a community college. And so obviously it doesn't, doesn't go quite as far at a four-year university because they tend to charge uh, more tuition. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I point this statistic out quite a bit that uh, for students who receive Pell Grants uh, and attend public four-year institutions full-time, uh, the in-state, the, the Pell Grant um, tends to cover um, most, if not all, of their tuition. Uh, we tend to see a large share of Pell Grant recipients uh, end up with a zero tuition bill uh, because of all the various sources of student aid they receive, and the Pell Grant is usually the largest in that, in that chunk. So at least for the uh, the most needy students, the ones that have the, the come from the lowest income households, you almost have free college today. Yeah, that that that's right. Uh, so you and uh, but the 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 issue is, I think you know, which is sort of a fair criticism. And this is one that um, that uh, a, a colleague of mine, Alex Usher. Uh, uh, it, it notes all the time. He, he, he's a sort of international higher ed expert. And, and he says, oh, the, the U.S. system is not ungenerous in its student aid, but it is opaque. <laughs> right. So uh, I think your, your observation is right that the Pell Grant does a lot of heavy lifting in reducing tuition to almost zero or to zero for many students. So, yeah, free college. We have it. It's just it, it's not altogether obvious. And in fact, it might not even be obvious to the people for whom it's free, which is which is the problem. Well, you know, that's American politics. Uh, most things in, in American politics are designed in such a way that nobody can quite figure out how things actually work. And that way you can get the most uh, political support for it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what my report's about. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that you show is that this uh, expansion of the grant program, the maximum grant, which has actually gone up really uh, quite a bit because I think, you know, at one time it was more like $2,000, $2,500. Now it's up to 6000 As this maximum has, has increased, uh, so has the uh, eligibility for a Pell Grant. So how much has the el eligibility for uh, a Pell Grant changed over the years? Yeah, so there's sort of this this feature in the program, and, and to your earlier point, you know, it's it's a, it's a little bit hidden, um, but there there is no income cutoff for a Pell Grant. You can't say, oh, no, people who re, who earn more than fifty thousand dollars a year are ineligible, and people who earn less can get one. There there isn't one. It it's essentially a function of whatever the maximum grant is, and that's what Congress sets each year. So as Congress increases the maximum grant. Um, more people become eligible. Now that, but that only happens if Congress increases the grant faster than inflation. Because if they increase the grant with inflation and then incomes rise with inflation, everything is sort of held constant. You get into this sort of expanding eligible universe, higher up the income distribution, if Congress increases the Pell Grant faster than inflation. And that's exactly what they've been doing uh, over long periods of time and, and even short periods of time. So, so Congress, why is Congress always uh, ex expanding this program? What are, the, what are the drivers on Capitol Hill that's uh, producing these changes in the Pell Grant? Yeah, so I'm talking about rising faster than inflation, like consumer prices and, and you know, that what we 
normal measures of inflation. But as everybody knows, <laughs> college tuition uh, tends to rise faster than inflation. And so Congress feels pressure to then have the Pell Grant uh, rise faster than inflation in order to keep up, to sort of maintain the purchasing power of the grant. So it's sort of sort of locked into this in this political dynamic and this market dynamic where Congress wants to increase the Pell Grant faster than inflation uh, and then inadvertently uh, expands the, the eligible universe of, of, of Pell Grant recipients f- sort of further up the income distribution because it's responding to something else. So this, it's sort of, there's a, a tie to the size of the grant and the and the amount of, of income you can have and still be eligible, but people don't see that connection. And so, or at least it never gets discussed very much. And so it's sort of unknown today that you can be making 50, 60,000, or come from a family that's making 50, 60,000 a year and still be eligible. Yeah, that's right. Because the program is, you know, it's historically been a program for, for low-income families, and, and, and that's how we talk about it. Uh, and that's how people in Washington talk about it. But it's been, there's just been this sort of steady creep further into sort of middle-class territory. So one of the statistics in our paper um, is that, you know, in 1995-96, about 24% of students from families that are earning fifty dollars to $60,000 a year who applied for federal financial aid received a Pell Grant. So about 24% of these sort of solidly middle-class families received a Pell Grant. So when you say they're solidly middle-class, maybe our listeners would like to know exactly what is the median income in the United States Yeah, so the median income is in the U.S. is somewhere around $55,000 a year. So that's why we picked this number, 50 to 60,000, to give us a sort of bucket um, that, you know, looks like middle-class. Now, we can get, you know, people can debate what's middle class and depends on where you live. But, uh, you know, for purposes of this program and sort of argument's sake, this that's what we picked. Um, and I think that, the you know, the point here, right, is only that 24% of students from these families were receiving Pell Grants in 1995-96. Today it's 60%. And that's a, that's a big change. Uh, and to, to your point, Paul, that we, yeah, we don't, nobody... Nobody really said, yeah, that's the plan. That's what we're trying to do. We're, we're trying to get more middle-class people eligible for the program. What they said was we need to increase the maximum grant to maintain the purchasing power of this program for low-income families. Well, th- something else is happening here um, for, for the middle-class families. And, and yeah, it is, it is not unusual uh, for a family earning fifty thousand dollars a year with with uh, you know one kid in college to to qualify for a Pell Grant now that would be so the you're, norm. You're, what you're telling us is that a program that uh, was originally designed to help the poor and is still today defended as trying to achieve that objective is in fact becoming a significant subsidy to. Uh, uh, some portion of the of the middle class. Yep, it's sort of the, through the back door, uh, and and the other thing is that this is it, this is also it creates a sort of headwind then to actually increasing the grant for the low income families because you know for every few dollars you 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 provide to them you've got a you've got a more and more of the of the money than is going to, to the middle class families. And so it just becomes a sort of leaky way of, of increasing aid to low income students. And then, you know, it, 
it's more expensive and that means Congress is less likely to do it. And so, uh, so it's more, now I should say though, uh, there are some people that say, no, 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 we want this to be a middle-class program. And, and to that, I always say, okay, well, let's make that explicit then in the debate and the conversation. And that's one of the reasons why we did the report was to sort of make that the focus of the conversation. Can we either acknowledge that that's what we mean to do or say, oh, I didn't mean to do that. Let's cap eligibility when we increase the maximum grant. Well, so is there a stigma to receiving a Pell Grant? If you arrive on campus and you have a Pell Grant, does that, does that have a, um, a negative connotation or, or doesn't it? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't really know. It's, not, it's really not my area of expertise, but just knowing how the financial aid award process works, you know, the students are receiving a, you know, a, essentially a, a form and a letter from their university that has all sorts of student aid on there. Uh, and Pell Grant may be one of them. Um, and I mean, I'm, I, I would be surprised if, if students are, you know, sort of scrutinizing, you know, which is which and, and, and what it means to get aid from one source versus another. Um, so, and again, like I said, we see, you can see in the data that a lot of middle-class families are receiving Pell Grants. They're taking them. So does this uh, Pell Grant, you have to apply specifically for it, or is this just part of the general application for financial aid that virtually all students fill out when they apply, hoping to get one kind of a scholarship or another, maybe a student loan? Yeah, the, so you become eligible for a Pell Grant by filling out the, the FAFSA, the free application for federal student aid. So yeah, the main one that sort of is the sort of uh, one that everybody fills out and every all the other sources of aid kind of key off of that federal application. So the Pell Grant is what you get after filling that out. And so you'll find out from your college or university that you did in fact get this uh, financial aid. Uh, you won't find out from the government directly. You'll find out from, through the university. Um, I think the, the sort of, yeah, the main channel would be through the university. You, you probably receive, my sense is you receive some information from the Department of Education when you complete a FAFSA, and that that information may include your Pell Grant eligibility. The problem is, is the amount of the Pell Grant that you're eligible for is also contingent on uh, your sort of enrollment intensity. Are you going full-time or are you going part-time? And the amount would change based on that, so only the university can determine uh that, but I, but I do think that there is some information that the, the federal government sends you about the Pell Grant after you fill out the FAFSA if you qualify. So the university actually has this information about students when they decide how much of their own money they're going to add to the uh, fellowship money or the, the grant money that they provide the student. So they can actually use this money as a substitute for the, any grants they want to make as their own? Uh, yeah, I mean they have they have this information. It's very deep. If for someone who fills out the FAFSA, um, you know the the college is receiving pretty pretty detailed information about what the person's uh, financial situation is and ability to pay. So yeah, they're they're packaging up the information and they know um, how much aid you're eligible for from the federal government. They're the one telling you it. Well, is this aid to the student or aid to the college? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there's a great, uh, uh, um, uh, Sarah Turner ha had a piece uh, recently uh, where she was showing the, um, 
the sort of aid and, and eligibility cutoffs uh, at, at universities based on families who had sort of just missed the Pell Grant cutoff. Uh, and you can see a pretty stark uh change in the numbers and how the universities respond in the in the aid and the eligibility and that sort of admissions process they do for for students who are just below and just above the Pell Grant cutoff, which to me looks like, yeah, looks like there there is a uh, the, the schools are responding in some way, at least to the way they do their admissions uh, and, and, and some of their aid on this. So what do you propose as a solution to this uh, creep, as you call it, the the Pell Grant creep? The, a growing number of people who have access to uh, Pell Grant resources. Uh, how, uh, and I, I guess you have to assume that with all the campaigning for free college, there's going to be continuing pressure to expand the uh, maximum grant. Uh, what's your solution to this uh, transformation of the Pell Grant program from a program uh, uh, targeted to the deserving poor to a program that is serving a much larger segment of the population. Yeah, well, I, and so I think the, the time to talk about solutions is, is definitely now because of the campaign. You know, we're seeing candidates say we should double or, or we're seeing advocacy groups say we should triple the maximum Pell Grant. And, you know, knowing of this dynamic I've discussed, this would actually, if you didn't enact some kind of solution about about this sort of middle class creep we're talking about here, you would actually see families earning uh, $90,000 or $100,000 uh, becoming easily eligible for Pell Grants if you don't take some sort of action uh, in response to increasing the grant. Uh, and I think the solutions are pretty straightforward. We lay some of them out in the paper. Um, you can have a maximum, you could have an explicit maximum income cap. Uh, Congress could say, you know, you, you, you do the regular Pell Grant eligibility formula, but anybody who earns more than $30,000 or $40,000 in household income isn't eligible. Uh, you could do something like that. That's a little blunt. Uh, there are some, there are some, um, uh, more complicated when ways. When you say that's blunt, what do you mean by blunt here? Well, I mean, it's blunt and sort of, uh, so for example, the Pell Grant, you know, has a, has, is adjusted for family size. You know, you know bigger families, um, you know, would receive larger grants out of a, a sort of, and the formula sort of acknowledging that they have less discretionary income, but a maximum income cap doesn't take that into account. Um, like the Pell Grant formula is designed to do. Uh, now, the flip side is, though, that the nice thing about a, an explicit maximum income cap is it's, it's transparent. Uh, it's clear. We, we know what it is, and students and families know what the cutoff is, rather than having to fill out the form and then get a number that translates into another number and later on find out whether or not they got a grant. Um, so, so I think it's it's good in that way, but again, it is it is blunt and that it sort of doesn't take into account uh, many other factors that might go into a family's ability to pay. So, but is this politically realistic? I mean, right now the Democratic Party has made free college uh, 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 at least uh, uh, for for junior colleges. Uh, a part of their political campaign. Can Republicans realistically propose a cut in Pell Grant support? Yeah, I, so I think that, um, you know, I mean, you could actually sort of freeze it where it is now. I mean, that's another way to go and sort of say, you know, further increases should not 
increase the income eligibility of the Pell Grant. There are, we lay out ways to do that in our paper as well and sort of accept the status quo uh, and, not, and not necessarily go backwards. You can do that uh, as well. But for the candidates who are saying, I want to you know, dramatically increase the Pell Grant, I think, I think the mo- you know, obviously, I don't think um, the folks uh, here at, at the American Enterprise Institute are going to convince them that they that, that they should abandon that policy. Um, but I, what we can hope to do, though, is 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 make people understand, and even the candidate themselves, that they are proposing a big middle class expansion in the Pell Grant by calling for doubling the grant or tripling the grant, uh, and we can make well, that explicit. Might, the, the- the freeze idea strikes me as one that might be more realistic because then you're not taking away anything from anybody. You're just sort of uh, freezing it at the current level, even though you would increase the maximum for those who really need the assistance. That might be uh, a, a, an option that, that could win political acceptance. Yeah, and, and it's actually it, it's kind of an ironic one because the way you freeze it is you index the maximum grant to inflation, to consumer price inflation. So if you increase the maximum grant to consumer price inflation, it will not expand further up the income distribution. Because in, if incomes are rising at about the rate of inflation and the maximum grant is rising at about the rate of inflation, there's no expansion. It's only when the grant rises faster. So the, the I, I say it's sort of ironic because you could actually have conservatives come in and say, I want to. I want to. I don't want this program to expand to any more families higher up the income distribution. So I'm for indexing it to inflation, <laughs> uh, and and the progressives and the Democrats have sort of long been advocating for indexing the Pell Grant to inflation. And so if they if they all sort of agreed on this, um, it would actually solve this problem that we're talking about. So, but are they now? So the argument against that is going to be college uh, costs are continuing to rise at a rate that's faster than inflation. But is that still true or have college costs now come down so substantially that they are not rising so quickly? Yeah, I think in recent years we've seen a, a, a slowdown in, in the pace. Um, uh, you know, remains to be seen if that if the, it continues to slow down. Um, but yeah, I think there will be there will be pressure to increase it faster than inflation. But, you know, I mean, I, you know, as things work in Washington, if you put something on sort of autopilot, um, you know, like indexing a program like this to inflation, I, it, it actually will be harder, I believe, to then increase it faster than inflation because you've sort of taken the issue at least partly off the table. Um, now we're back in a situation where the grant uh, you know, year after year, it's going to be a fight to increase it um, because it's not indexed to inflation. And so every year we sort of relitigate that fight and that's a new opportunity. So I think if you take that off the table by just indexing it to inflation, I, I actually think you sort of blunt the, the pressure to, to increase it, you know, twice the rate of inflation to keep up with college costs. Well, some people out there say that it's not the size of the Pell Grant uh, or, or the uh, income level of the family that's the big issue here. The big issue is that uh, students are eligible for uh, a Pell Grant if they have completed a high school diploma or obtained a high school diploma without anybody looking carefully at if they are uh, prepared, if they're college ready, as, as people say. And what would you think of introducing a reform that said you had to show evidence that you could perform at the level required in order to do 
uh, college work in order to receive a Pell Grant? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that sort of the one of the, you know, sort of the cornerstone of the program is that it's this, you know, everybody gets a second chance. Uh, right. And this is, we, you know, it doesn't make any judgment about your ability. It's just everyone gets a chance. It's, you know, sort of open access. Um, and I, you know, I think that's a part that you'll actually find a lot of support among conservatives and liberals for, for that feature of the, of the program, sort of a American ideal of our higher education system. It's an expensive one, but but it is certainly an ideal that that people sort of treasure. Um, so I I'm I'm not a huge fan of having some kind of uh, you know upfront eligibility test. Um, you know I'm I'm not confident we'll all get that right. I'm certainly not confident um, Congress will get that one right. Um, so I'm hesitant to to suggest that i think it's probably better you know to to find ways to uh shine a light on good and bad colleges uh you know sort of on 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 student outcomes uh and and hopefully that sort of disciplines the market Uh, let the colleges do the sort of selecting on their own about who they admit um i I think that would be a, a better approach rather than somebody else deciding uh who should get the grant well, thank you very much, Jason, for this fascinating uh, account of uh, the way in which the Pell Grant actually works in practice. Uh, your study is a very illuminating study of the detailed connections between the actual size of the grant that students receive and the way in which it serves an ever-increasing share of our population. Oh, hey, thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. really appreciate it. I've been speaking with Jason Delisle, resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute and co-author with Cody Christensen of a just-released research paper entitled Pell Grant Mission Creep. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me for a new Education Exchange podcast released on the Education Next website every Monday at noon Eastern time. Thank you for joining me.